Hello, and welcome to Metachemistry. This is episode 65. And today, uh, we wanted to talk about one of the major events that are coming up shortly. That is Salt Lake Showdown 6 for 2023, which will be at the end of May. And all of us are planning on going, so we thought that we'd give you guys a little bit of insight into our process and what we're doing to prepare or what we're willing to just kind of wing and things along those lines. But yeah, so just kind of a an introspection on our way to Salt Lake Showdown or SLS. But before we get started, we want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Mo Games. That's Mythic's online emporium. They're an online supplier for Infinity that you can find at mo-games.com. And as part of their sponsorship, all of our patrons of any level get a 10% coupon code or discount code to that store. And we also raffle off a $40 gift card every month. And that's for anyone on the Discord. You don't have to be a patron uh, to qualify for that. Just being a member of our Discord is enough. And so feel free to stop on by. We'd love to have you as part of our community. And you know, that'll also give you a chance to get those gift cards for more infinity goodness. Because what's better than games? Mo games. And so for tonight, we have Azoka, Ian, and myself. And uh, Azoka, what have things been looking like for you lately? Real well, I think you had just come back from a trip. Yes, I just got back from Japan, and it was uh, a very growing experience, I would say. Like, I saw a lot there that was like, you know, just like a different culture. I saw a completely different culture that just ran very different than what I'm used to. So I made adjustments while I was there to, you know, be respectful and, you know, kind of like fit, not necessarily fit in, but fit in a little better than just being a complete foreigner. And uh, like trying to learn the language, even though I know not a lick of it, or at least like respond, you know, like the things that I commonly say in response to questions is like, yes, yes is hi in Japanese. And I got used to it. And I found myself while I'm here at Starbucks today, I was like, hey, I'll order uh, one of these, one of these coffees. And then the lady says, grande size. And I go, hi. And then I was like, yes, I didn't just say hello to you. I'm sorry. <laughs> so it's, it's been an adjustment coming back after getting being used used to all of that um but yeah, it was, both it ways, was yeah. uh-huh both ways exactly it was it was very nice and it's uh uh i regret i'm regretful that it's eaten into my infinity time leading up to salt lake showdown but i am glad that we got to get or i got to get back before a tournament that we had yesterday so i managed to get in a tournament and I got uh, all of my Onyx together and painted and everything. So I was like deciding, oh, I'll try it out. And I played it at the tournament. And it was a lot of fun. Very Happened, nice. Feels like riding a bike. Yeah. And what about you, Ian? What has been going on in your circles lately? Oh, just work, 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 more work. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs> work uh yeah now we got uh, a bunch of stuff like at my job uh like changes and stuff happening and like reorganizations and stuff so uh we've been having to shift shift people off to other parts of the country to like help stuff out which is fine uh so it just leaves us a little shorthanded uh at times but 
that should be all good. And um, beyond that, just uh, we've been doing our different Blood Bowl leagues and tournaments and stuff uh, locally. So those have been fun. And yeah, I play some Infinity here and there. Actually, had a really, 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 really fun game uh, last week, and uh, doing uh, capture and protect with another one of our locals, uh, Josh Nordstrom, and mm-hmm. it was yeah, it was just one of those like absolute over the top games. Uh, it was just so ridiculous, and if it could happen, it did happen, and I just went with it and laughed and it, it was an incredibly fun game. So, uh, yeah, nice. doing that when I can. <laughs> yeah. He yeah, was telling awesome. me about that. Yeah. It was just, it was bonkers. It was just so <laughs> like, ha this thing happened. <laughs> Sounds like a good time. Yeah, it was, it was good. It was one of those just crazy games that, you know, just so much fun. <laughs> Very nice. you, Devin? Yeah, for me, I've been trying to get some more games in. I just recently, uh, you know, my partner and I are going to go to SLS, which we just pulled the trigger on uh, just within the last several days. So planning for that. Yeah, that's really exciting. Surprise. Yeah, that's awesome. So so I have lately been playing uh, O12 and Starmada, and I was considering taking them, but I kind of pivoted. And decided that I'll go back to my Tunguska for now. But I've been able to get in three games in the past week, which is nice. Jeez, three uh, games in a week? Very nice. I mean, yeah. that's where you want to be when you're prepping for a tournament. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that's going to be consistent up to the yeah. end, unfortunately. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, uh, so mostly just trying to swivel back around and try and get some practice in while I can for that. Yeah. What, uh, what made you want to go back to Tunguska and take them a little, like, is it like comfortability? What, what are you thinking? I think that it's kind of twofold. One is that I have played them for a little bit more extended period of time. They've been kind of my main hobby project slash gaming project for the last, I don't know. the last year, right? Year. Yeah, yeah. say about a, about a year. And then the other thing that just makes life easier on me is that they're almost fully painted as an entire faction. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to <laughs> try and blitz through painting two lists or, or whatnot of my O12 stuff, which is only, you know, probably about 10% painted. Yeah. These guys are about like 90% painted. And then you can submit for the for the painting competition. That's exciting. Ooh, I didn't even think about that. I just wanted to have painted bottles. But yeah, that yeah. Makes sense. and, and <laughs> depending well. on how in depth they go, <laughs> last year uh, there was a lot of competition for painting and faction performance because they gave out individual trophies by sectorial for a lot of it. Yeah, it wasn't even just I faction. Know. It was wait, was it sectorial or was it faction only? No, no, I like think, I think I yeah. think painting painting was faction, but um, mm. uh, but there was top player of each sectorial awards as well. Nice. So I don't yeah. know if they're gonna do yeah. that again. It was one of those crazy things that uh, I think we've seen. But yeah, it was. It was Utah wild. does like to do a lot of crazy things, and it's very very awesome to see. Yep. Yeah, they show up to Krug and they're like, "We're playing tags," and and then we want to do the same thing. We're like, "We're not creative." 
Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so that's kind of the plan going forward there. But uh, in kind of circling back to SLS on that topic. um, So about how long would you say you guys have uh, planned ongoing? Like I know I've kind of given my situation a little bit. It's been a little over a week. But what about you guys? I know you guys have talked about it for a little bit. Yeah. For me, when they said it was going to happen. Yeah. When like when they announced dates. Yeah. When they announced dates, I'm like, sweet, I'm going. Well, I guess to be fair, I was a little worried about uh, funds because of the Japan, the trip to Japan. uh, And that's a bit expensive. Uh, But I bit the bullet and decided if if I can just ride with someone like drive up there. I can I can really only pay for the hotel and that's not that bad. So I looked mm-hmm. at it and it worked out and then I decided, yeah, I'll do it. Nice. Yeah. What about <laughs> you, Ian? Or were you kind of. Uh, well, I was right on going. You know, since last year, like, <laughs> cool. See you all next year. Mm-hmm. And then and then they show the dates. Then they show the dates. And it mm, was yep. Mother's Day weekend. Yeah. And I think enough people said, are you high? That then they changed the dates, which was good. Yeah. But then they made it Memorial Day weekend and we're like, okay, <laughs> it's a little better, but that's still an issue for some people. Uh, so I immediately was like, you know what? I'm going to make it work. So I grabbed my registration and signed everything up and put in for it and then immediately got dragged into the office by my bosses and they're like, what's going on? I'm like, yeah, it's a thing I'm doing. And yeah, then I had to like literally write a action plan about how like things were going to run without me there on like a holiday weekend when I'm literally looking at all of our sales projections and I'm going, we're not going to be busy. Like your, your, the projections that you have provided, this is a normal weekend as far as sales go. Sure. So I had to come up with an action plan so they'd sign off on it, but it was just like it was one of the dumbest things I think I've ever had to do. And like literally, it's not any busier than a normal weekend. So it's all good. And they capitulated, so that's cool. Yeah, I'm also getting very, very strong into the um this isn't a request. This is a notification on this sure. on stuff. Uh, Cause I'm just, I, I'm tired of dealing with that stuff. Like yeah. I have a life to live outside of my place of employment. Yep. So, and you work really, go. really hard for your job. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. And so that being said, for people that aren't familiar, uh, Salt Lake Showdown is going to be on the 25th, 6th and 7th of May this year. Uh, the actual, well, the official tournament days are the 26th and the 27th, that Friday and Saturday. Yep. Because Utah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, so I guess from this point, I'd kind of like to circle around to what sort of prep you guys have been doing. So you guys have essentially planned either since it was announced or, you know, since last year, you just kind of assumed that. You're going to be going next year, which sounds like, of course, it'll be the case. So 
how far out do you give yourselves to start preparing for an event? If you know you're going ahead of time, like well in advance, do you just kind of go full tilt the whole time until then? Or do you give it a couple months, a month, a few weeks? Well, it was, it was a lot of uh, playing for whatever tournament is next. So mm-hmm. we had, we had a uh, Berkey blitz earlier this earlier this year i think mm-hmm. what was that yeah that was earlier this year yep. and then i was playing for that and after that then we i started playing for salt lake but it was a lot of like missions right mm-hmm. just just playing the missions and i'm pretty sure that like we have a healthy colorado meta that's going to salt lake showdown and the moment mm-hmm. that they release uh missions everybody just wants to play those missions so if, if somebody who is playing in the tournament is playing a game just on a casual tuesday or whatever we're usually playing one of those missions if we know it's coming up and don't have a tournament in between then and now right yeah yeah i would agree and then in the smaller local tournaments tend to reflect those as well yes from from my experience which i am very thankful for our, our workhorse and and local players for setting those up Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's a good chance to get a rapid fire series of games in. It's a good chance to get a little bit of prep for the next large event. And, you know, just to hang out with other players for for a day. Mm -hmm. But yeah, what about you, Ian? Does it just kind of start once there are no more major events between then and the tournament? Or do you have a different angle or a different uh, method um kind of depends uh if i'm going hard on a particular faction like um so like i build lists based on the missions but oftentimes it's also that like i have some lists that i like that work well for me that i will slightly modify or adapt to a mission set for a tournament. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a toss up between whether I'm like using one of those and adapting or like, you know, scratch starting a mission uh, or a list build based on the missions for a tournament. Uh, so like last year with Cosmo, I had a pretty solid list that I was running. And then when they announced missions, it was, like I didn't need to change anything. So I just kept running that list and just really drilling down on it. Um, this time around I'm doing you know, foreign company and it's, I'm still working on some of the stuff, you know, like, you know, figuring out how to build for some of the missions is normally, normally at a big tournament, I try to just take one list, but I think the missions in this are widespread enough with what, foreign company offers that I am probably going to be taking two lists, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, because it, it's, it's a thing for my mind. Like if you can take one list that can do all the missions and you can get really good at that, then like you get really good chance of being successful because it's, it's less sure. variabilities. You know, you're not going to second guess which list you're taking to a, to a particular mission. Uh, you know, you're just, you, you know, this list, how it works inside and out and you're confident in your ability to play with it. Uh, and that's where I like to be. So 
doing doing two lists is gonna be a little bit different, but it's just looking at all the variabilities with uh, the faction and the missions. I think that two lists is gonna be the way to go. So I'm still drilling in on some of that. Yeah, I think that that's an interesting point in terms of how you utilize or don't utilize the two list structure. So, Azoka, how about you? What do you think of that in a general sense? Like, I know that uh, Ian said that he's kind of stepping outside of his usual comfort zone and using two lists this time. But do right. you kind of prefer the focused practice and the lack of a decision point? Or do you <laughs> prefer having the additional tool set available in case? Well, so I like a, an additional tool set available in case because, like, you know, depending on the faction that you're playing, you might have something that's going to be more geared towards uh, a specific set of missions versus another. So, like, in Firefight, for example, if you have you can run some drop troops and just parachutist deployment zone right in their backfield. Or like in Corregidor, you have Hellcats who can drop anywhere on 18s. And if you want to run an Evo hacker, you can drop anywhere. Um, so that has an influence on what how many lists I want to bring. It's really just reliant on faction for me. And <laughs> I uh, I find myself having a trouble of looking back on on a mission that I lost and being like, I should have taken the other. The other list because of X, Y, and Z reason because I thought it was open and it wasn't. So <laughs> going one list feels kind of a lot better. So I just cannot be uh, hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Where you know, to Ian's point, that you kind of have this potential to second guess yourself or or to lock yourself into a decision on if you built a list, say for a specific mission. Let's say you built it for firefight in particular, but then there's something when you come up to the table, either when your opponent announces what they're playing or when you see the table that maybe your non-firefight list is better for one reason or another. Maybe it has mm. better tools uh, to defend on a more open table, uh, has more long-range weapons or what have you, or Maybe you, your other list is more tailored to what your opponent is likely to bring. But, you know, if you kind of lock yourself into thinking like, nope, this is the list I'm playing for firefight no matter what, that could potentially bite you. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think that it's like that. That's an elevation of play is if you can look at the table and adjust. Um, Josh, mm -hmm. you know, our local player that you were just talking about, Ian, he uh, he I think it was back in Brick Blitz where he looked at the table and we were playing countermeasures, I believe it was. And he has a list specifically for countermeasures. But then he looked at the table and he was like, no, nah, this table's built for an avatar. So he picked the avatar and and it turned out very good. It was a it was a good, strong choice that I think is, like I just said, evidence of. Es escalation of skill. Yeah, absolutely, because it's relatively easy to say, OK, I see. X, Y, or Z mission. I'm going to build a list that is very competent in dealing with these objectives that are placed before me and just kind of get it in your mind that that's the way it's going to be. But sometimes you need to pivot and the plan doesn't necessarily go the way you expect for one reason or another. And, you know, being able to recognize that 
even though, say, your, your other list may not have the same breadth of tools, you know, it may be better for other reasons. Yeah, I uh, I have come to find like watching the professional gaming that I do, such as like Dota or uh, the Magic Pro Tour, which has just happened. Um, I see people thinking on like a different level, right? Like I'll play these games and I'll play them um, on my level, which is usually just on a level of fun, but wanting to play good. And then I'll watch these uh, streams of, you know, the high skill players play them. And there's casters, obviously, for these events going on. And they're talking about the thinking uh, in that's going on in the minds of the players. And when I watch and like kind of listen and, and intake that information, it's really like another level of thinking, right? Like they're constant. Like if we were to put it in comparison to infinity, they're thinking exactly of that. They're thinking our table here is not conducive to the plan that I built. So now I have to adjust. And then they're thinking about exactly like why they need to adjust, whether that's table or opponents or even opponents faction, right? Yeah, and speaking of which, uh, for those of you that are interested in seeing those sorts of games, uh, our friends over at Tabletop Throwdown stream a game each Sunday uh, where they have two players on uh, Tabletop Simulator and they'll stream the game like start to finish and they'll have uh, they'll have either Tim Chainsaw uh, and Clint Sidham Minister and Clint yeah, that will uh, that are often commentating on those games. So if you like that sort of content, then that's something they have over there every week. They're very good. Yeah. So I want to dive into the missions a little bit and kind of your your thoughts on not necessarily each individual mission, uh, but the collection as a whole. So this year for Salt Lake Showdown, there are going to be, there are five missions, of course. We have Capture and Protect, Countermeasures, Decapitation, Firefight, and Unmasking. And I know that, Ian, you kind of already touched on that you feel like it's a pretty broad scope of missions, but mm -hmm. tell me a little bit more in your thinking in terms of when you see that whole mission spread, what sort of things stand out to you in terms of tools you might need across the event as opposed to just an individual mission and mm -hmm. how that's influenced your list building thus far. Yeah. So <clears throat> this mission lineup as a very kind of like opposed objectives. Uh, so you have incapitation and firefight are very, they're kill oriented missions for the most part. Uh, and then countermeasures and unmasking are very specialist oriented missions. And Capture and Protect is a little in the middle. Um, specialists help, but you don't strictly need specialists for the to do the mission. But they do help. Uh, so it's a thing where traditionally specialists tend to be less effective at killing. That's not always the case. Uh, there are some very awesome killy specialists out there. Although I find that those tend to just be a specialist operative rather than a particular uh flavor of specialist um whereas well, faction dictates that a lot yeah oh, faction yeah. does dictate that a lot however you know when you're looking at like countermeasures because countermeasures has the potential to have every classified 
in the game appear in that mission. Uh, with just the how how it rolls through, you want to have all your bases covered. So that means you know you're going to want a doctor, you're going to want an engineer, you're going to want a hacker. You know, so you need to cover your spread there. But then you also need to build in you know your heavy infantry, your medium infantry, uh, different other categories and classifications to cover all your bases to do that mission. Uh, unless you're willing to sacrifice uh, some potential. Uh, classifieds uh which which you can do with the ability to discard classifieds each round um you can get away with that but in my mind it's that's the one where i need to like plan to be able to do everything and not necessarily kill versus decapitation firefight where i just need to kill like i'm gonna build a little bit different for these missions um there can be a lot of similarities in them but i'm gonna be building different things, different redundancies in for each one. Uh, unmasking that one, you know, it, it's, and it, it, it's a, it's a kill mission, but it's a, a specialist kill mission where you got to have the specialists go do the thing to unlock the ability to kill the things you need to kill. It's right. honestly one of my least favorite missions. It's not that it's a bad mission. <laughs> I'm just absolutely sick of t- and play, uh, tired of playing this mission at tournaments. Cause it's, very popular. Every major tournament seems to want to have this in their lineup, and I'm just I'm tired of it. Like guys, the past year's been good at not having it. I feel yeah, yeah. Um, but you know what I'm talking about. Like it's it's well, I mean, was two years SLS? prior, it was every it, every it was tournament. It, this was issue was at SLS last year. Yep. And yeah, I'm just I, like, <laughs> that's fair, I and mean, it's good. You know, if we have twenty missions, it's a good. Opportunity twenty four kind of, missions now. That's true. With direct action, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's nice to be able to rotate between some of those. Though I do appreciate unmasking feeling like a pretty good mission. I, oh no, it's a it's like a great mission. But you don't want to see just, any given mission like all the time. Yeah. So that makes sense. That's it. And like countermeasures is another one of those ones that I'm not super excited to see, but if I have to choose between countermeasures and highly classified, I'm choosing countermeasures because it's the more dynamic mission in my mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a little bit more enjoyable. Like you build the same list for both of them, but highly classified, you might be using the stuff that you built and countermeasures. You're much more likely to be using the stuff that you took for it. For sure. Yeah. It's a very interesting mission and it's a challenging one. Yeah. Uh, I, I find it, extremely difficult to max points on countermeasures. Yeah, especially when somebody, <clears throat> Shane, decides it's hard mode. <laughs> There's yeah. that. Yeah. You know, people who go in 10 points up. are like, wow. <laughs> yeah, like, I was... Let's see. When that happened, that was... Uh, that was two Krugs was a ago. Couple, yeah, two Krugs ago. And yeah, I remember where, which is kind of on the spot... It was decided that we were going to be running extreme mode where we used red cards instead. And I was playing yep. uh, from Utah. It was Steven, I believe, who was playing Varuna. And it was a double cutter list. And this was before fire team changes. So it was a pile of Fusiliers and a Kamau and a Machinist and two cutters. And so neither of us scored very many points that game. There were lots of dead stuff, mostly my stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my will do experience that, that year was I, was I was fighting against Mike Klein on uh, Mark's beautiful forest river table 
that is also an absolute nightmare to play on in certain situations. And this was one of them. And even though it was hard mode, Mike straight up, I think it was like 10, one was the score. Uh, he just railed me and it didn't help that uh, I can't even remember which specialist it was. I think it was my war driver. It was probably my war driver rolled up on an, on a objective point and failed the whip roll seven times in a row. Mm-hmm. Is hard to recover from. And mm-hmm. I just kept rolling it because it was okay, my only it. option to get any points. Right. Yep. Yeah. No. So noting that there's a couple missions that are that favor aggression pretty heavily, and there are a couple missions that are looking for a high density and diversity of specialists. Where where does that put you in your list building? I know you kind of mentioned you want to have two lists that is not normally true of your play. Mm-hmm. And so are you looking to have kind of your aggressive list and your specialist dense list? Is that kind of the plan? Yeah, that that's kind of the plan. Um, I have a pretty solid list. And, and so like I have two lists that are very, very close to each other that I think I'm going to... Um, just adapt the one to be more specialist heavy Uh, because they do have some slightly different stuff in them but the the one that i would probably not touch is done pretty well being aggressive and it does have specialists it has you know several hackers and it has a bunch of um other stuff here and there that you know but it's much more oriented towards going forth and destroying things and you know moving forward and taking territory Sure. Uh, the other one, it's it's very similar. They're probably seventy percent the same models, but that one I feel is going to be a little bit um, more conducive to adapt to fit in those other specialists because I think that you know I have an engineer in that one on top of some hackers, and then it's uh, I got to double check if I, I think I have a paramedic in there, uh, if not a full doctor. So mm-hmm. I've already got like most of my bases covered there, and I'll just tweak it a little bit to. Uh, you know, make it kind of come together and give itself uh, the ability to do all of the classifieds. There you go. So, Ahsoka, what about you? What's when you see this mission lineup? What kind of jumps out at you, and how how is that informing your list building so far? It's Just like Ian had said, it's very kill friendly, right? Like just just like you guys both were just discussing, decap, decap and firefight benefit and unmasking benefit being good at killing. So, at, in the lists that I'm making, I want to play like like for a corregidor when I when I played them uh, the last tournament, I wanted to bring a Hellcat and Carlotta, and I wanted to bring climbing plus that can get around things so I can get up to stuff and kill it. Um, and then in Onyx, when I'm looking at that, those to build, I um, generally am looking at like Norkius because Norkius is a monster and can kill a lot of things. Um, so specifically in Onyx, uh, one thing that comes to mind when looking at this list lineup is designated targets. So unmasking and uh, decap both have designated targets or uh uh, targets that you can kill, right? And they're very easy to kill. So that opens up things like, uh, specifically in Onyx, like I'm talking 
uh, Norkius to get to easily get up to one of them and get two wounds just real quickly right off the bat. Now he's two wounds plus uh, or using Kodali to drop her in and then get those easy extra wounds. And then they're they're a bit of a monster. Uh, if I were looking at Chess Fosti, which is another consideration of mine that I was looking at, uh, you know, the Protheon on Sheskin is very valuable because you just walk up. Do you hear damage? Get some wounds. And now you're, you know, even more disgusting. So that's that's been a lot of consideration is what those two missions share. Also, uh, another thing is the seasonal uh, benefits, which is terrain zero G and terrain total benefits. Um, that's heavily influenced the models that I wanted to take. So uh, sure. one of the one of the major benefits for Norkius in decap is there is no gravity there. So any model with any of the specific types, which is terrain total zero G and super jump get plus one inch, which he has super jump. So it's a big deal. And then all of the other ones have like uh, the master breacher and then decompression zones. So it just continues to add and double down on the terrain skills. And yeah. Firefight has the free Corsair. Yes. And yeah, <laughs> which I'm sure that, a lot of people will forget. I won't. Is, yeah, that is something that I personally find rather frustrating. Mm-hmm. One, I, I've made it no secret that I dislike free ITS models. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's just in general. But I particularly dislike that even factions that don't have access to airborne deployment, they guaranteed get access that can remain hidden because it's free and they can go in a full combat group. So yep. you just must assume that it's there, yeah. even if your opponent doesn't remember to use it. But it's going to be there no matter what. Yep. And so so that kind of is two interesting observations from what you were saying, Hazoko. One, that you haven't picked what you're playing. Yes. And two, <laughs> and two uh, the importance of maneuverability uh, in when you're looking at the missions. And I kind of noticed something similar in that two of the missions have exclusion zones. That's countermeasures and unmasking Mm -hmm. and decompression zones only appear in capture and protect. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting as far as what's going to be necessary from those standpoints and how that might affect your list building. If you're going to go infiltrator heavy or things like that, looking at these, I, the other other like piece of thing to note too is 16 inch deployments uh, mm, that's on firefight and decap which is like when you're looking at building lists sometimes you have four deployment plus eight and now that turns into infiltration and it like it matters a lot in list building yeah. for, for me yeah yeah it totally does um yeah the other thing that is um interesting is like while there's not a whole lot of extra stuff that's pumped into um unmasking which is probably good because that mission has already got so much going on uh with as far as like the order of stuff that you have to do uh so it doesn't have any of the extra stuff but countermeasures is got the evo hacker bonus so evo hackers Mm -hmm. give you an extra regular order in their group and it has the sec debt so again while we're not fans of free models uh getting a free csu is interesting um, and particularly obscenely beneficial to my faction that runs CSUs. Yes. Uh, so I can just say, here's my fourth CSU in this list kind of thing. Um, and potentially that's uh, 12 regular orders in one combat group between the two of those. 
So we'll see how that goes. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. 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 Assuming you convert the sec debts order, yeah. And doubling down on uh, mission uh, sharing, your the Evo hacker not only provides that order bonus in uh, countermeasures, but it also is going to provide bonuses in firefight if you're going to be playing yeah. drop troops. Yeah, if you want to absolutely positively make sure you combat jump something, getting a plus six is a good way to do it. Yes. Between the mission rule and the control jump program. One of the things that stands out to me is needing area denial. Like, that's something that I feel like is incredibly prevalent in this lineup because you need it in decapitation because you must protect your lieutenant. That's a significant chunk of points. That's three objectives. My three objective points in decapitation is getting more lieutenant kills. So if you can not give up a lieutenant kill, that gives you a significant advantage. Capture and protect. You have the beacon at the front of your deployment zone that you get bonuses if your opponent isn't carrying it at the end of the game. And also they they are not getting points at the end of each round if they're not holding it. So you want to keep people off of that firefight because it's so easy for airborne deployment of either variety to kind of get in at you from wherever. Like all of these things can strongly incentivize having good area denial, whether that be midfield uh, or just in your deployment zone or even both really. But yeah, that's one thing that, excuse me. And that's one thing that I think is going to be, very important to take a look at when making lists for this event is do you have a way to fend off aggressor aggressors that are in your deployment zone or near your deployment zone uh, so i see there being a lot of value in mine layers uh jammers ferroware uh any sort of things that can kind of uh ablate attackers as they come in at you peripherals even uh, can do that. So I think that those will be quite valuable in this lineup. Yeah. It's real hard for me because when I like while we're looking at the mission lineup uh, in Kurgador, I'm like, okay, so I want to take Morans because they're just stupidly priced efficiently, right? Yeah. It's they're very, very good. They're very Probably good. Students, and, so. and yeah, have the area denial exactly like you're talking. But then in mm -hmm. like in countermeasures, and uh, unmasking, they're a little less valuable because they're a little farther back. Actually, you know what? I'm just going to completely eat my words because the area control that they provide to protect your um, HVTs is actually very valuable. So um, yeah. they do have that, and that would be enough for me to to run them regardless. But uh, one thing that uh, my great mentor successor or mentor has. Uh, uh, done and shown me Andrew the great TR bots <laughs> just dropping like he, he surprised me when he dropped one of his TR bots on the corner of the battlefield not in cover just to protect from uh, parachutists and sure. that area of denial it worked it was it was you know a tactic that I had never thought of and I was and now I consider it yeah, absolutely. Because even if you come on and you're inside a negative range band, 
you never want to eat a burst four reaction that you cannot oppose. <laughs> that is a, a bad time. But that also speaks to uh, the table, whether that's even possible. And, you know, if you have an open back line, that's a very valuable tactic that you can use. Ideally, you know, your deployment zone should be broken up, but that's not always the case. It doesn't always happen. And so that's important to have those sorts of things. Because uh, even if it is broken up by scattered terrain, uh, Silhouette 3 can often see over those, you know, if we're talking about low barricades and the like. So yeah, that can be very effective. Or hidden mm -hmm. deployment can be used similarly. Or sappers are very, very good yeah. at that. And this is where the Corsair comes into its own as it walks on the board <laughs> and one of the three markers eats four shots and hopefully it's not the real one. Yep. You just, uh, you just hope that they miss. You or you play plasma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. You do that with a Q drone and that's a bad time. Yeah. 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 Noctifers, so Agima marksman. Mm-hmm. All, the, all that good stuff. Absolutely. So a lot of those can be good deterrence, either you know if you place a model and your opponent can see it, or just having a hidden deployment where you can kind of bait your opponents, either kind of make them second guess if they want to drop it all because they know you might have hidden deployment, or by having them come in and just wiping them out. Uh, as they come in, and <laughs> Zoke is shaking his head at this, as I yeah. say, because uh, we played a game recently where uh, just that happened. Uh, yep. He thought I could take hidden deployment, but Starmata has none, and uh, yeah, he's going to drop in or walk I in with Arlotta. <laughs> so much time thinking about it, and you didn't even have access to it. Yeah, I totally forgot to. Like, I knew I didn't take it in my list, obviously. Yeah, but, but you're not going to tell me I that. Was but I wasn't even thinking of if they were in Starmata because I knew they were in O12 and I just hadn't really given it much thought. But you certainly did. <laughs> <laughs> it was very entertaining to look back on anyways. Yeah. But yeah, so seeing kind of what to expect from some of the missions or things you might expect from some of the missions. Um, is there... A way that you kind of focus your practice beyond just playing those missions. Are you looking at your list and saying, hey, I want to try this iteration, see how it works a couple games, and then revisiting? Like, how much intentionality are you putting into your practice as you go game through game? Or do you use other methods besides just those practice games? So... In in general, like I haven't done this much for Assault Lake Showdown, but uh, in prep previously and for Bricky Blitz in specific, it was a lot of just that where I was stress testing what list can do. And when I'm playing a faction consistently and I've decided I'm going to play this faction for the upcoming tournament, but I don't know what list I'm going to play. That is stress testing what in that faction can do the mission well. And mm -hmm what I am comfortable playing with. So that's going to be a lot of like going back and forth specifically with Pano. Uh, for me, it was a lot of like, okay, let's see these other power pieces and kind of what they can do and how they benefit the mission in, in like a specific way. And then learn from that and that, that there are other more optimal choices, either just in general or for my style of play. 
and then just go with those. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, that's really valuable to be able to get those reps in and kind of identify those factors. Uh, but what about you, Ian? What sort of, what does your prep look like going into SOS thus far? Uh, so I haven't been able to do as much as I'd like, but normally it'd be a thing of, you know, just iterating on a list, getting games in with that list, changing stuff up as necessary, and then and just dialing it in for the performance that I want. But as part of that, it's not, hey, let's go uh, curb stomping all the new guys. It's, uh, hey, you there, fellow good player who is on my level or better than me, let's go. And that's and that that's where I feel like the best part of it is, it, you know, in, in terms of getting experience with the list is and really putting it through its paces is seeking out other players that are on your level or preferably even better than you are. You're going to get the most experience from that, the most positive experience from that and learning how your list is going to operate and the challenges that are going to get thrown at you are going to be on a level that you know you'll you'll figure out like what you're going to have to overcome and mm -hmm. that's just the best way to do it is just you know take your list and go challenge every you know good player that you can sure yeah there's certainly a lot of value to that um, one thing that i saw that i really liked from our conversation a few weeks ago uh, maybe a little more now with bruno was talking about some of his prep and how he basically will make a a note sheet of mm -hmm. some variety, like a spreadsheet, and he will show, like, okay, here's the missions. Here's how many classifieds are in the mission. Here's all the special rules that are in the mission. Here are non-negotiables that I need to have or things that the mission requires. Uh, and then, you know, a brief snippet on how the points are scored and what to think about when making the lieutenant role. So just as an example, uh, for countermeasures, which works well since it's also in Salt Lake Showdown, it's like, okay, so we have countermeasures. It has 10 classifieds effectively. There's an exclusion zone. There's a sec debt. There's an Evo hacker bonus. You need to have a good spread of classified uh, objective uh, or models to carry out that objective spread. And you need three HVTs to bring to the table. And so the points are getting more classifieds and doing eight classifieds. And for considering what to do with the initiative role, you know, you jot it down. It depends on how many classifieds are immediately achievable and which side of the table has good positions to put HVTs in. And so he does that for every mission that is in a given lineup. And I think that that's a really good way to beyond just reading the missions and kind of absorbing that information that way, being able to lay it all out together, I think can be a very valuable tool in terms of, okay, what do these have in common? And how can I consolidate lists to give myself the best opportunity, the best tools that I can for an event? And so that, that definitely stood out to me because right now I haven't decided if I'm going to take two lists or not. Uh, I would like to because I like having the extra set of options available, but I've been practicing with one list in particular. And so after my first couple games, I've had a chance to reevaluate slightly. And so I tweaked some things just a little bit because I feel like it can be easy to take an experience in a game and say, oh, well, 
that didn't work at all. That was awful. This thing died on the first day or row or whatever the case may be and write something off, even if it might have been due to a play mistake. It might have been due to maybe it was a good choice, but you know, it ju- the decision just didn't pan out when the dice hit the table. Um, or or maybe it just yeah. Maybe it was just a counter. Like maybe you had something good and your opponent brought that one counter that was specifically good against it. And that's right. you can't just be like, well, I'm not gonna run this because one faction has a counter to it. Exactly. And that's why, you know, ideally you want to get a spread of opponents, a spread of opposing factions, a spread of tables. Very important. Uh, And, you know, that's not always available for everyone. Luckily, we have a pretty healthy meta in our area that supplies many of those things, of which I'm very grateful for. But I understand that not everyone can say the same. And so you work with what you have. So with that, I would say try and get in a couple games before making changes if you can. And even that's not always feasible because sometimes you just don't have enough games that you can get in. Many times, you know, I'm sure that many Infinity players play one game or fewer a week in some instances. And, you know, if you're getting one game every other week, let's say, that gives you very few opportunities to revise, even if you give yourself a couple months of practice of dedicated practice. So something to kind of keep in mind, like you don't want to dismiss things out of hand just because they didn't work out for whatever the reason that was, but uh, knowing when to iterate and how much to iterate, I think is, is very valuable. I think it took me six, six face to face roll losses with the car who Feuerbach to be like, you know what? Probably not my my dude, <laughs> but I I didn't write him off after the first two. Yeah, <laughs> just after yeah, number six. Just after, <laughs> right. yeah, give him his try. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, which you know, I mean, it's uh, it's one of those profiles that definitely feels like it should be very good at that job, but sometimes it isn't. Yeah, well, and go ahead. Well, it's also the thing of like on paper. It's really good at its job on the table. It's probably really good at its job, but you're trying to use maximize its utilization. Your opponent's trying to remove it from you. So it becomes a focus of play and that could arguably lead to it just not being effective because your opponent has put effort into removing it right away. Although yeah. sometimes you just, you know, get diced. It happens. Yeah, it does happen. Like there is ultimately a degree of luck that's going to be involved regardless. Like, In a we, dice game, that of course. Yeah. yeah. Roll dice. That's an inescapable fact. You can do many things to alter and mitigate and, you know, hedge against. But, you know, sometimes things will just not work, even though they quote unquote should. So sometimes you get credit on a one. So it happens. Hey, look, <laughs> this weekend I crit uterus on a five and he died. And I was like, sick. Yeah, I've I'll had take it. games like that. Where it's like, yep, there's a crit. Yep, he failed both days and he's gone. It's like, I just wanted you to succeed at dropping smoke, but instead I killed you. So that's pretty cool. Um, so one of the things that I've kind of been trying to pay attention to since we talked to Bruno and like, kind of like, since 
what I've been seeing a lot in in my games and, and kind of the games that a lot of people talk about is a breakdown of kind of how the meta is going, or at least the meta that I've seen. And it revolves a lot, at least from my observations, around I have this like really good defensive piece, like a bolt, right? A bolt in a core link is is terrifying. A Kamau. Very terrifying in a core link. Zaydens, you know, a whole bunch of like these different options that are very good as a defensive piece. And then you have an aggressive piece on the opposite side of the table coming at you or vice versa. You are approaching that defensive piece with your aggression piece. And like in Bruno's games, I noticed a lot of the times he had he had mentioned that he won a lot of face to faces that were like probably just the dice off. Right. So mm-hmm. like he had his bolts up and then someone attacked him with like a burst five or burst four uh, attack piece and his bolt just happened to win because it's got really, num- really good numbers. But uh, after running the dice in the infinity face to face calculator, I see that it's it's pretty comparable to either side kind of like winning. And one of the things that I've trying to internalize and use in in my uh, list building and stuff is trying to avoid that because having a uh, a game decided on that one huge face-to-face role like losing because you because you didn't beat that bolt or winning because you did Mm. Uh, i'm trying to like find ways to get around that and in the instance that I'm probably just going to play Onyx and it's unexcitedly probably just going to be the same list I played last year. But uh, it's a good it, list. Yeah, it's a good list. And I finally have it fully painted. So that's exciting. Nice. Uh, it's got a lot of ARO presence. So it, when it loses one, it's just not it doesn't get crippled. And it's got a couple of uh, several different options of assault. So it's got the ability to keep keep going even when I've I've started like take wounds and stuff. Um, And that's going to be something that I'm going to try and pay attention to when talking with our local meta and everybody and you guys after your games is to see how prevalent that that is, because to me, it feels very prevalent and almost like an issue in, in my opinion of just losing a game because your defensive piece died. Yeah, that you have essentially you're describing in a list having a single roughly, you know, one or two hard ARO pieces and then just not really having much steam afterwards. Yep. Yeah, I could certainly see some of that. But yeah, uh, I think that's something good to keep in mind. And it can be difficult to track a meta in that way. But taking those observations, especially if you are going to regular events, that can give you a significant leg up if you can kind of see those trends as they go. So, yeah, I I think that that's certainly a good insight to keep in mind. But, yeah, so I would say just before we uh, before we move on, I just kind of want to see your guys's thoughts in terms of either your your goals for the event, like you know, where would you like to place or similar or, you know, if you are bold enough to make predictions and say, I should, I will be in the top X or I will, 
uh, I'll take the event if we want to pull an Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> Manifest it, you know? God, I, w- I wish I was there. <laughs> uh, you know, whatever the case may be. But yeah, what are, you, what are your thoughts going into the event? Like, obviously, you know, we're there to see people we don't see very often and have a good time. Uh, but, you know, in terms of the actual tournament itself, uh, you know, where do you kind of see yourselves at based on where you are right now, uh, approximately three weeks before the event at the time of recording? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm shooting to be in the top half. Um, yeah. I know that doesn't, that's not very exciting, <laughs> but, uh, like I said, like foreign company, I'm having a lot of fun with them. Um, I will say that they are very different from what I'm used to playing and how I'm used to playing. So yeah. I'm not entirely in my comfort zone. Uh, I'm not entirely have had enough time to like practice up really well. But I, 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 I'm comfortable saying that I can probably land in the top half. Uh, if I can do better than that, awesome. Like, I'm, I'm going to try to do the best that I can regardless. Uh, but of course, beyond that, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's one of those events that's super fun. Re, you know, win or lose. It's like, going to be a good time. I, I've had a great time Absolutely. pretty much every game that I've played at a showdown. So... I said, it's, this is as much as like, I am going to play and going to do well. And like, it is still going to be competitive. Like that, that's kind of almost a secondary concern for me. Um, the rest of the event just being a really fun time. Uh, I might save my competitive energies, uh, more focused towards Krug, but we'll see. Uh, so I'll still be playing Forco for that. So this will be a good rundown to see what I can do with it in a large scale tournament. There you go. And Azoka, what, what are you thinking so far? So, seeing as I still have not made an absolute decision on what I'm going to play, <laughs> uh, my goal, or okay, I'll make predictions first. I'm in between Onyx, Corrigador, and something else. So, oh. but, <laughs> yeah, I know. Great place and to be. Three. three faction. And then maybe. The the something else is actually like four factions, but I won't get into that. Right. Uh, probably one of these. Probably. One just, of like any, just, just pick your flavor of any two that'll mix those four factions together. You're good. Yeah. Those oh, are nobody touches <laughs> CA, though. I cry. Yeah, that's true. So I'll make my prediction for Onyx. I think that if I play my Onyx list, I can take top five. I, I predict that I can make top five easy, possibly right. even take first. The The list is undefeated in tournament setting. So that that's where that's where my backing comes from. Um, uh, my prediction with Corregidor. Top half. <laughs> I'm not I'm not <laughs> super experienced with Corregidor. Um, sure. Their their build like their I whenever whenever I look at Corregidor and build lists, anything in that that faction, I'm like, yeah, this works, except for Wildcats. Uh, Wildcats are trash. But everything in there, I'm <laughs> like, this is great. Like, this is awesome. This looks fun to play. I'm sad to auto-include 57 points of Jazz Billy and a couple of uh, Morans, but everything else, really cool. Cool and fun. And super sure. flexible ways to build. And I feel like that's a downfall 
if you haven't played Cricketer a lot. And then as for the, the something else, I have no prediction um, because that, <laughs> we aren't even there yet. Um, my goal that I have made for myself just four minutes ago is to try to keep a record and try to specifically ask everybody about my what I just brought up. How much did the did the game hinge on one face to face? Yeah, I think that's a good call to see. Okay, how many fairly definitive turning points were there? How would it have changed the game if you passed this, but I didn't instead of the other way around? Yeah, I think that's a good call. And it's it's difficult because I have to ask that a little later, like maybe after you've had a beer or something, because sometimes people are like, this game is so stupid and I lost this face to face and really it probably didn't matter. Right. Like, did it just feel like that would have done something impactful or did it really only, you know, save the winner an order or two as opposed to actually changing the outcome significantly? Yeah, absolutely. Because the end of the day, it's just a game and we're here to have fun. (laughs) Yes, exactly. That's true. So, yeah, uh, for me, I haven't been to a large event since last year's Krug. So while I would like to my, my aspiration I suppose, is to be on the the top quarter. But I feel like top half is definitely the realistic place to be. Yeah. <laughs> but, but um um that that would be my goal, I guess, is to be in the top court. I don't know exactly how many people are registered offhand, I wanna say sixty ish. Like sixty people. So, okay. so yeah. healthy amount of players. So yeah, so you know, assuming it is 60, you know, top 15, I would feel pretty good about that. But if mm-hmm. I'm in the top half, like that's that's a range where. Yeah, I'm like, OK, that's that's not disappointing. If I'm below top half, I'm like, maybe I made some bad choices. <laughs> <laughs> did I did I pick something wrong in my list? Did I just fumble under pressure when we were there or something else? Or did I just, you know, get yeah. blown out by strength of schedule? Because I'm certainly not the best player there. You know the way to relieve pressure? Shoot for top 75%. There yep. you go. Nice. Your pressure's relieved. If that's your goal, Excellent. you could do that. I believe in you. <laughs> I believe my, in myself. My, my, my issue is I always get teamed up with like my first three games or so. Unless unless I get somebody really good on like the random for first round, it's usually that like my first three games, I'm just like shutting out my opponent like 10-0. And then, then I have to play other people that are like at my level or higher. Once we get into round like four and five, and I'm just like, oh, and it's I mean, fine because they're great games. But it's like the first three rounds, I'm just like, and shut out, shut out, shut out, yeah. and all right, I'm on a roll. And then all of a sudden, it's like, bam, brick wall. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's so hard too, because like when you're yeah. when you're get on that shutout streak, you're just like. I'm on the top of the world. Or, <laughs> or I get the really good player that just whips me round one and just throws me down in the bottom of the rankings. And then like the rest of the tournament, I'm just, I'm just shutting Submarine. everybody out and then like still ranking up pretty high because like I just, that, that first round just, you know, took me out of the, the top contending areas. And yeah, then it's, uh, it, it's club and baby seals time. And like, that's not, fun 
to be honest. Like, like it's still it's still a fun tournament and all that, but I, my my mode of play changes significantly there into more of a like, hey, let's like talk through things and kind of like you know train stuff and like you know here's your options for arrows and things like that. You know, it, it's a different, a much different uh, way to play a tournament when you're in that position where, you know, it's like, you know, the, the competitive aspect is basically, uh, not there because you know that you're just not, you're not going to be at top table. Yeah. I think that there is something to be said in terms of if you're not playing against someone of equal or higher skill, sure. But Mm -hmm. I think that there is some enjoyable competition either way. Cause I've had that yeah. sometimes where, you know, I'm paired with players that are relatively new to the game or otherwise inexperienced. And I think it is really fun to be a part of that journey and to kind of be almost uh, a showcase or spokesperson yeah. to, you know, uh, competitive infinity. Not again, I, I'm certainly not the best player at, this event or any other that I have participated in, but, uh, you know, being able to play and see newer or less experienced players come into the game is always really exciting for me. Uh, I, I enjoy cultivating new infinity communities. And I think seeing that abroad, relatively speaking, uh, is really awesome. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm going to transition towards our final thoughts. But before we get there, I just want to do a quick reminder for our Patreon page. So if you guys are interested in financially supporting the show and have the bandwidth to do so, super appreciate that. Everything that comes into us goes straight back into the show. Uh, so this isn't anything that we pay ourselves with or take out of pocket or anything like that. This is all for equipment and special projects, one of which that we're hoping to reveal in the near future. But uh, doing so also gives you some cool benefits. So you know, it's not purely donation. You do get some cool stuff back, hopefully. Uh, you get some on our free Discord. You get some access to member-only channels. Uh, You also, uh, in some tiers, you get access to our episodes a week early. So you get uh, ahead of the schedule there. And for those of you that already do support the show, we really, really appreciate you all. That's super amazing of you to do. So thank you very much for that. And as far as our Discord goes, like I said, it's a free Discord. Everybody's welcome to come on and hang out and talk Infinity in whatever shape that happens to be. Uh, you know, we have uh, Ethan showing off his Sonic table progress, and because he's doing a Sonic the Hedgehog theme table that's looking awesome, so he's been posting. So cool. Yeah, he's been posting progress of that uh, constantly for uh, the last little while, and it's like really a year. Great to see he's that. been he's been working on this for thing <laughs> for like over a year, and it just keeps getting more and more grand because he had yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> amazing. Some of the early parts of it, uh, you know, not completely finished, but some of the early parts of it, he was he had it uh, Krug. And last year and oh yeah um i don't remember if he had stuff ready for sh- last showdown but no. like, he's been working on this for quite some time and it is mm-hmm. just shaping up to be more and more impressive every he's day. he's such a nerd and i love it so much he's so good at what he does yeah yeah he's, <laughs> he's, awesome. a, he's a total so happy. yeah <laughs> yeah so if you're looking for cool terrain 
you want to share neat paint jobs, uh, you want to ask questions on rules, we've got a couple good experts there who are always happy to answer questions. Uh, and if you want to talk about lists, talk about units, talk about factions, uh, and we have some other smaller side channels for you know some other games and stuff, if you're into that, then feel free to stop on by. We'd love to have you. So with that, though, uh, let's go back to our final thoughts for preparing for Salt Lake Showdown 6. Ian, what do you got? Uh, just, you know, wish I had a little more time to properly prepare, especially since I'm playing a faction I'm not completely comfortable with. But uh, there's also a part where it's like, if you know how to play the game, you're kind of good with any faction, like, like you might still be working on some of the interactions and the particular combinations of skills that your models have, but like you generally will still do decent because you know, you're, you're solid at playing the game. And uh, I think that's probably why you see a lot of the, the, the same people taking the top positions at all the major tournaments is because they're just very good at the game, regardless of their faction. Uh, so I, I I know how to play this game pretty decently, you know. I, I, th I think I'll do okay, <laughs> but I hope to see everybody out there. Uh, you know, come on by, say hi to the cast members. Uh, all three of us are going to be there, and uh, yeah, I think even Andrew's going to be there uh, this year as well. So yeah, we're going to have a whole bunch of Medichem guys out there. So come by, say hi. Hopefully, we get paired up together. It'll be fun. Yeah. Damn it, Ian. You stole my final thought. So I'll just reiterate it. Ah, shoot. Uh, I'm excited to see see any of you there. If you're there and we get paired up, let, let us know that you listen to the show and it should be a fun game. Like, well, I'll buy you a beer and we'll have a good time. It'll be awesome. I'm very excited to see everyone and hear what, hear what you think about the meta and podcast and everything that's going on. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I third that sentiment as well. Uh, I haven't been uh, out for a large regional event for a number of years now. So I'm excited to go out and see some people that I normally only get to see at the Krug and hopefully meet some other new faces. So that'll be great. I'd love to to sit down and chat and hang out. I'll be there on Thursday afternoon for kind of the, the pre-Infinity celebration as well. Um, but yeah, I think that whenever you're looking at one of these larger events, after I just say how infrequently I play them, but I think an important thing to think about is kind of focus on your goals going in. I think having goals are having goals is a good thing, and that can help kind of focus your play. And maybe it's not placement related. Maybe it is in observations of what happens there and lessons you can take on to other events. Uh, maybe it's something more along the lines of, okay, here's the things that I thought I needed. And then I was swiftly corrected and realized that I needed something else. And, you know, using that to kind of help refine your list building, because sometimes it's easy to get caught in a bubble of your local meta and not necessarily know what to expect or otherwise be prepared for other things that are available. And so that's one thing that I'm excited for as well, is being able to 
see what other people bring and kind of get a better idea of what other metas feel like that I don't get to experience very often. So I'm excited for that. So thank you all for listening to the end of the episode. This has been Devin. Azoka. And Ian. And that's the meta.